Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Marilyn Singleton, a board-certified anesthesiologist. Dr. Marilyn Singleton graduated from Stanford and earned her MD at UCSF Medical School. She completed two years of surgery residency at UCSF and then her anesthesia residency at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. While still working in the operated room, she attended UC Berkeley's law school, focusing on constitutional law and administrative law. Dr. Singleton has become concerned that technology and algorithms will soon be making medical decisions instead of humans in order to maximize profits at the expense of what's best for the patient. Dr. Marilyn Singleton on Coast to Coast. Happy holidays to you, Marilyn. Well, same to you, and I'm so glad to be here tonight. What an amazing subject. Well, it certainly caught my eye when last year a study came out that Google was working on where they put all the data of several patients into the computer and could predict which patients were going to die, how soon, and whether they'd leave the hospital or not, and that their prediction came out better than the doctors, according to them. Tell us exactly, Marilyn, if you can, in layman's terms, what is an algorithm? It's basically taking a lot of data and, and I mean, and a person can make an algorithm for themselves, and we probably do that in our own heads in everyday life. If Johnny doesn't do the dishes, then I'll have to do the dishes. That's a very basic algorithm. And um, if this, then that, if this, then that, and then you take all the facts and put them in and um, come up with an answer of, The problem is, in medicine, so much of how we treat people and how we really cure people comes very individually with the patient. There always seems to be some little glitch, a computer would see it as a glitch, in each patient that they just don't follow the rules. And this is a real problem if they say, well, we'll have the computer make the decision, you'll just feed in all the data, feed in the lab test. But then you have, as silly as it may sound, you have miracles. And plenty of people have a story of somebody who was supposed to die, they were on death's door, and somehow they didn't die. Well, what do you do with that patient? What do you say? Mm -hmm. The computer said you were supposed to die, so I guess we have to kill you. it's it's a it's going to be a very very slippery slope of how much we use this data and how much we decide it can think better than we can also remembering who inputs the data human being dr jack kevorkian the uh, angel of death would be concerned wouldn't he well it that's very interesting because in my view Years ago, Kevorkian was considered a ghoul for helping people die, and presumably these people wanted to die, and, and he was, in fact, convicted of That's manslaughter. Right. I believe it was manslaughter. It could have been second-degree murder. And now 
some of our laws are just allowing this. And, and so when people think, oh, X, Y, or Z will never happen, we don't have to think back too many years to see how we viewed something 20 years ago. And then now it's completely different, and it's happening. Now they are encouraging doctor-assisted suicide, and, and, and who to thunk it? That's right. He, no, he was convicted of second-degree murder, Marilyn, and uh, was uh, sentenced to served eight years of a 10- to 25-year prison uh, term, and uh, then he died in June of 2011. I wonder, though, if he enjoyed doing what he was doing, because that's where that ghoul thing comes in. I Well, I think one of the things that bothered people, he was a pathologist and not a clinical physician. So some people thought, well, he doesn't really see patients and he's not an internist or family doctor or whatever. Um but I think he was compassionate. I I certainly didn't know him, so who knows? And all you can go by is what was written about him. And I think he believed in what he was doing. It was not medically or socially acceptable at that time. And then magically now it's socially acceptable. And yeah. what's interesting to me is it seems we've regressed because if you go back to ancient Greece, the elders decided which babies lived or died and which old people lived or died. When you outlived your usefulness, boom, you were gone. And then we seem to evolve from that. And it seems like we're going back the other way now. We're, we're just deciding, well, you're expendable. We don't need you anymore. And yes, it's okay to kill babies at birth. What concerns you, Marilyn, the most about all this? That we're losing our humanity. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because all, in the news we see things about sex robots and all this stuff, and I would read it and just laugh when it came out. It was like a joke. Exactly. And then suddenly... It doesn't seem so silly anymore because people are actually buying into this stuff. Apparently, the sales are up, and then you look at kids. They aren't dating because they're afraid to date because of all this political correctness. And you wonder where it's all going. First, you don't talk to people because people are standing right next to each other, but they're texting each other. What is <laughs> that? And what happened to people talking to each other? It, it, it's become really well, unusual if you say, well, I'll call you. And say, oh, well, text me the information. And, and I, don't think, I don't think most younger people can go to dinner with a friend and not put their phone away, where they don't look at it for the entire dinner. Instead, they put it on the bar top or the restaurant table. It's there in case somebody texts them or if they want to send a text. I don't think they can physically put it away. They're too addicted to it. I think you're right, and I certainly see that. And just going for a walk and seeing people walking together, and they both have their phones out. So all these things taken individually 
you can sort of slough it off. But then when you start adding it up, you have people not talking to each other anymore, people forgetting how to talk to each other. Therefore, you don't become comfortable with human emotions. And maybe you'd prefer to sit in front of a computer screen for, you know, to learn about news, the world, or whatever, rather than having a discussion with someone. And, and, and so bit by bit, we're just we're just losing our humanity. Do you remember the movie years ago, Fantastic Voyage? Yes. <laughs> and this for people who have never seen it before. A guy had some kind of tumor or some clot or something that needed to be operated on, and the only way they could get to it was to shrink the medical people and put them in this little tiny machine, like a little spaceship that was so minute. It traveled through his bloodstream, and they went to the tumor to fix the guy. It was an amazing story. Is that is that doable one day? Well, I I don't know. Uh, it's what's interesting is now they are putting DNA chips in inanimate objects. There's a DNA chip I just read the other day that they've put in a toy rabbit. So. I don't completely understand how they do it, and I'd like to. Um, but they can put, what is it, millions and millions and millions time more information in this little DNA chip than you could in a computer chip. And so somehow they've encoded DNA, put it in inanimate objects, and that's stunning to me. So uh, certainly... This whole concept of fantastic voyage could be out there. I don't know that you could shrink people, but certainly you could make some sort of capsule with a curative item in it and float it through the human body. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.